let's generate our motivation and recall that the nature of our mind, the ultimate nature of our mind, lacks any kind of inherent existence so that we don't have any concrete permanent personality. We aren't some kind of person with given characteristics, given problems that are who we are, that are unchangeable. Rather, the ultimate nature of the mind is completely clear and pure of inherent existence. And that even on a conventional level, these defilements can be eliminated because they're based on ignorance which misapprehends the nature of reality. So the more we understand these two points, the fundamental purity of the mind and the fact that the afflictions can be eliminated, the more we'll have confidence that liberation is possible and that if we follow the path, we can attain it. So that kind of confidence gives us a lot of energy in our practice, makes the mind very optimistic and free of despair and depression. And when we see other sentient beings as having that same clear light nature of the mind, that their minds too are empty of true existence and the afflictions can be eliminated. Then we see so much potential and goodness in them and know that they too can attain liberation. So then our minds become even more optimistic and we want to really improve our own qualities to their utmost extent so that we can guide all these other beings who've been kind to us along the path because we have confidence that we can and they can attain liberation and enlightenment. And so with that kind of joyous understanding generate the bodhicitta. It's quite important when we're practicing to know how to keep our mind balanced. Okay. So to know when the mind gets too excited, uh, especially with the worldly concerns, that we need to bring the energy down. And we do that by contemplating death and impermanence, the faults of cyclic existence, the disadvantages of self-centeredness. That way we make the mind more sober and serious. On the other hand, if sometimes the mind loses energy and feels discouraged, or, you know, just kind of laziness actually, then we need to lift the energy of the mind. And so here we contemplate the qualities of the three jewels. We contemplate Buddha nature. We realize, like I was just saying that the ultimate nature of our mind is pure and the afflictions are adventitious, they can be eliminated. We meditate on the kindness of others and in that way we 
lift the energy of our mind and make ourselves more optimistic. So we have to learn how to deal with our own mental states. And, you know, we all write this down every course. You know? <laughs> this is the antidote. Attachment. Fortitude and compassion is the antidote to anger. This is the antidote. Confusion. Rejoicing is the antidote to arrogance, to jealousy. We write it down. But when one of these afflictions takes over our mind, we feel totally lost and we don't know what to do. And then we run to somebody and say, well, what's the antidote? Because we don't look in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we run to somebody, what's the antidote? They tell us, we say, oh, that's good. And then we still don't do the meditation. Yeah? We still think of some reason why we can't just bring ourselves to do the meditation. Okay? This is, is something that we have to work with. And, you know, if we're going to be a doctor to our own mind, then we have to know what the antidotes are, familiarize ourselves with them, even when, you know, the corresponding afflictions are not strong. Because the more we have the antidotes in our mind and have that perspective on life, the more difficult it's going to be for the afflictions to rise in the first place. And then even if the afflictions do arise, we'll have some familiarity with the antidotes. We'll know what they are. You know, we won't have to look in our notes. We won't have to call somebody. And then after we call them, we won't just say that's nice and not do it. But we'll actually pick it up and do it. And then we'll see the results for ourselves. And that gives us a tremendous amount of confidence because then we see that, oh, you know, it is possible for me to learn how to manage my own mind. Yeah. It, it actually is possible. I can do it. Woo! Yippee! Okay? So, you know, we've, we've got to kind of do that and have confidence in ourselves that we can do it and then gain more confidence by doing it. Okay? So that's quite important. Yeah. Is it on your website, uh, Antidote of All? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. We have this one thing that I wrote out quite a long thing, different mm-hmm. anti, you know. I gave it to her. She gave the anger, not all of them. Oh, yeah, they're all there. They're all there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, <laughs> I won't call you So this really brings up the importance of doing the analytical or checking meditations. You know? And this is why His Holiness, if you've read his, his endorsement <coughs> at the beginning of guided meditations on the stages of the path, why he says that analytical meditation is so important. You know, Because when we do this analytical or checking meditation, thinking about things point by point, then we're changing our old thought patterns. We're changing our world view. We're familiarizing ourselves with a new approach. And so that is extremely helpful to us. 
So much so that His Holiness emphasizes that over doing deity practices. Because actually deity practices are to be done when you have a good foundation in the, in the stages of the path, Lamra uh, meditation. Yeah. So in your practice, you know, that what you take home from doing here, it's not just doing Chinresi or Vajrasattva. It's doing all these analytic meditations on the Lam Rim. It's going through your notes and making an outline of the major points that you heard and then thinking about the teachings point by point, applying it to your life. Okay? So this is all very, very important. It's not that you listen to teachings and you remember a few things here and there and that kind of is a background for the rest of your practice. But that should be, you know, you notice the main points and you sit down and actively go through them in your meditation, thinking about that, actively transforming your mind. Then you can do a little bit of, you know, Chinresi or other deity meditation as a way to do some purification and creation of mirror. Okay. But we really have to work on changing our minds through these, you know, meditations on the stages of the path. Because yeah. if we don't do that and we just do deity meditation, there's a big risk that deity meditation becomes feel-good meditation. Mm-hmm. Because we don't understand why we're doing it. Okay? Whereas when you do the Lam Rim meditations, let's say on refuge, then when you take refuge, you know why you're taking refuge, what you're taking refuge in, what the proper attitude is for taking refuge. When you generate bodhicitta at the beginning of your practice, you'll know what bodhicitta is, what the step, you know, how to actually generate it in your mind. Then when you do the part about purification, you'll understand about karma. You'll know the difference between a non-virtuous action and a virtuous one. You'll know what is com- what factors are necessary to have a complete non-virtue. What, you know what the ten virtues are. You'll know the four opponent powers for purification and you'll do them. So in order to really understand all these steps in the deity meditation, you need the Lam Rim as a background. In the seven limb prayer, when you do offerings, then you'll understand, well, why am I doing these to start with? Why am I visualizing all these offerings, you know? And we'll understand it. The same thing, you know, when we request the teacher for teachings, when we request the Buddhist to, to stay and guide us, you know, to other limbs in the, in the seven limb prayer, we'll understand why we do that. You know, our whole topic yesterday about the preciousness of the Dharma in this world and not taking it for granted and being responsible for it, you know, having contemplated that deeply, then, you know, that informs when we make those requests. Okay? And similarly, when we do the requesting prayer to Chenrezig, we'll know what to actually expect from it. We won't just be taking out God and inserting Chenrezig, you know, and thinking, now Chenrezig is going to save me without me doing anything. But we'll really understand 
what their relationship with Chenrezig is. Okay? You know, I really encourage you when you go home, you know, continue doing what you've been doing here. It's not that you do one thing here and forget about it when you leave. Like I said at the beginning, you know, what you're learning here is just the kind of the basics for a week of boot camp. And then you take it home and you really elaborate on it and practice it and develop it. Okay? Now, if you didn't take notes during the talks, everything's going to be on the web. You can listen to it again and take notes. <laughs> what an idea! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's tons of teachings on the long room on the web. And there's a lot of written material. Okay? So there's no lack of stuff, you know, material for you to use as resources in your practice. And then... You know, if you're able to go to Dharma teachings Thursday night, you know, or if you live near a Dharma center, go to your local Dharma center. Yeah. And, and so, or develop a sitting group, you know, have some people that you practice with. Kathleen, can maybe you tell them about your, what you did with Bobby, about your uh, practice. Yeah, yeah, do that now. A long time ago, when I was at Cloud Mountain, and there was only a couple of us there from Portland, mostly people were from Seattle and Canada, um, I met Bob Wilson, who was also from Portland. So when we left the retreat, we wanted to continue meditating, but we both had very busy, crazy lives. And we lived far across town from each other, so I said, well, I'm not driving again to do another thing. I just can't. And Bob said, well, let's do telephone sangha. <laughs> I said, well, what's that? And he said, well, we'll just call each other and we'll take refuge. And we set the phone down and we meditate for a half hour, pick it up, dedicate, and we stay in our own houses. So Bob and I did this for about six or seven years, two to, yeah. two to three times a week. And because he was waiting, I would keep the commitment. And at the time, I was um, a director in an office, so I'd just say, I have an appointment from, you know, 1 to 1.30, which I did with Buddha and Bob. <laughs> and it helped my work a lot, so I felt justified in doing it. And I would just close my door, and we would do that. And, and uh, it really kept me going, kept me going, kept me going. So I really encourage you to find someone who will do this with you, like every Tuesday, Thursday, every Monday, Wednesday. You do it from 12 to 12.30 on lunch hour. And it, just because the other person is there, you won't talk yourself out of it. That's the key. So yeah. It really works. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's real important when you go home to keep up a schedule. And you're in uh, a rhythm now. Okay? And so, you know, keep that rhythm. You don't maybe have to do, the sessions don't have to be as long as they are here. You can shorten them, you know. But do something in the morning, something in the evening. You know, meditate for a, re- a, a period of time that's reasonable for you. But just keep it consistent. You know, whether you feel like doing it or don't, whether you feel well or don't, you just do it. Yeah. It's like um, it becomes part of your life, like eating breakfast. You just do it, or brushing your teeth. You just do it. You don't ask yourself the question beforehand, do I feel like doing it? 
Don't ask that question. Banish that question. Okay? Because as soon as you ask yourself, do I feel like doing it? You know, do I feel well enough to do it? If you ask that question, self-centered mind will make up something. So you don't even ask the question. It's like, this is what I do when I wake up in the morning. You know, you don't ask your, yourself the question when you wake up in the morning, should I breath, brush my teeth or not? You know, should I go to the bathroom or not? <laughs> yeah. Do I feel like doing it? You know, you just do it. It's the same thing. And that consistency is very, very important for us. So you might feel like, oh, I'm just doing it, and it's a road, and nothing's happening. Actually, something is happening. Because just think of where your mind would be if you didn't do it. Even if you feel like, you know, I'm not doing very well. Well, what's your mind going to be like if you didn't even try doing what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Then your mind's really chaotic. Okay? So, you know, don't judge yourself harshly. Just do your practice. That's all. Yeah? And as you do it and make a habit with it, you'll find that it'll be there for you when you need it. Okay? And you'll be able to turn your mind to your practice and it'll become a real refuge for you. Do you want to tell your story about surgery? Uh, Mary Grace. First, first Mary Grace. Oh, actually, you're sitting in a line there, aren't you? <laughs> uh, it was three years ago. Actually, three years ago, we came, Moss and I came by here. I was reflecting on that. It was the 4th of July, and we did the Shanti Deva prayer at the table. I still laugh about that. Um, Star Spangled Um I had a tumor and in my brain, and I had to have it removed surgically. Um, and before I was doing, had to do surgery for quite a while, I um, was looking at my, my practice and thinking, what's the first thing, what's the easiest thing for me to recall? And it was uh, the four immeasurables, because I wanted to put the rest of my mind on something that was easy to do under stress. Mm -hmm. but, well, here's a good practice time. And uh, I was told, you know, you're going to anesthesia and you won't remember anything. Good thing. So I said, okay. So I decided to just really set the intention for several days beforehand and, you know, and then didn't fall. So I was saying the four measurables, and I don't remember this. My friend Julie was the one who told me about it. So I went through surgery and I woke up and I continued to say, I said the four measurables when I got surgery. And I don't remember that. So um, it carried through the anesthesia. Um, so I just pray that I can continue that to have a good fortune for the next time I have a or something. But it works. I mean, I can do it. Anybody here can do it. Trace, do you want to add something about how you used your practice? Yeah, well, my practice was, um, uh, I, I had a lot of trouble getting to the cushion. I didn't feel well and, and um, was going through chemotherapy. So, so um, uh, Venable suggested a kindness meditation, and 
And so um, all, all I really had to do is whenever I saw somebody, just try to think of the kindness they were showing me. And um, because I was ill, many people, you know, their empathy really comes up. And so it became very beautiful watching this empathy shine on me. And it was very uplifting in turn. And, and then I could be kinder back, not always, but, but um, much more than I could have imagined. Like what Mary said, I had a patient who um, was going for surgery, and I had all of about five minutes to get to know her before she went. But um, she had a mala, and she said, "Oh, will I be able to take my mala with me?" And I said, well, "No, but you must be Buddhist." And so we had a short conversation, and she asked me if I knew medicine with a mantra, and I could say that. So, um, so there's a computer in, the, in her room, so I just. I just got on and got on the internet and found Medicine Buddha Mantra and, uh, and put it on a continuous loop so it would be playing while she woke up. <laughs> and uh, and uh, probably anybody could do that. Yeah. And even in all hospitals have those now. Yeah. Yeah, somebody did. Who did, did that? You did yeah, that. My friend had told me when I went through my cancer surgery that I could probably, because my surgery wasn't on my head, wear her earphone. So I wore the earphones with Venerable, um, doing the mantra all the way through, and the anesthesiologist put it back on after I had to take it off for a minute. But when I came to in the um, in the room, there was this kind of wallpapery vision of blue medicine boots. I think it was that vision of that one picture where we had yes. like all the uh-huh. that, was <laughs> so, uh-huh. that was very cool. Very, very you see, the, these kinds of things, if, if you develop your practice, you know, on a daily basis, then, you know, when something happens and you really need it, it's there for you, and it comes through for you. And even if you simplify it, you know, the, the meaning and potency of it is still there. Yeah. And so that's why I really encourage you to keep up a daily practice and attend teachings and keep some time aside every day for study, for reading a Dharma book. You know? And again, if you have to turn the TV off, if you have to not return a phone call or answer an email later, it's worthwhile to really be able to keep your mind on the Dharma. And I know when people have children, the life becomes very busy. But I think even with kids, it's so beneficial to have that quiet time and for your kids to grow up seeing, oh, mommy and daddy can sit quietly and mommy and daddy have a quiet time. And so sometimes you might make it so that your kids can come in and they can just lie there while you chant mantra. They know that you're not going to talk to them, but they can, they're welcome to lie there. And it's so good for the children to see their parents you know, sitting calmly and working with their minds or taking time out to read a Dharma book. You know? Because otherwise, what do they see their parents doing? You know, running around frenetically. I've got to do this. I've got to go here. I've got to do that. And then, of course, the kids think that's all life is about. 
and then they behave the same. And then when the parents say to the kids, you know, why can't you sit down and be quiet? Well, the, the kids should say, well, I've never seen you do it. <laughs> and I learn by watching. <laughs> hmm? So it's very, very good for kids to, uh, to know that and to have some boundaries that, you know, there's certain time when we just don't make noise in the house, you know? And at a certain time when we don't, we don't turn on the TV and we don't do this and that. And I think that, that kind of structure is really important for kids. Huh? So, here, Mom, you, you manage that. Yeah, many of you are parents and manage to keep that time. So it's, you know, it's quite important and sets such a good example. Such a good example. Okay? So, um... Also, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, going back into the unreal world when you leave here. The, the tend- you know, don't get in your car and turn on the radio. <laughs> if, if you're getting in a car to leave here, just don't turn on the radio. Yeah. If you're driving away with somebody else in the retreat, talk about the Dharma, sit quietly, say mantra. Um, when you get home, you have the good energy going. Do some sitting this evening. Yeah. Wake up tomorrow morning and sit. You know, again, like I said, make it a, 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 a duration of time that is practical for you. Yeah. But but do it. Remember when when you go home that sometimes our tendency is, oh, I want to tell my family or my roommates, whoever I'm with all about every all these exciting things that happened okay well remember that they've been having a life for the last week and they're going to also want you to hear about you know how the toilet broke and and they got a flat tire and they're calling a, a colleague at work was obnoxious and so just remember that they're going to have things they want to share with you okay so be prepared to listen And also don't feel, when you're sharing things, that you need to share everything all at once. Okay? Because sometimes that can really take away your energy. You know? Share a little bit. And then, if they're interested, they'll ask more. And then the next day you can talk a little bit more. The next day you can talk a little bit more. But share with them according to their level of interest. Okay? And make sure you give them lots of time to, to talk and just listen to what they say. Just empathize with it. You don't need to fix everything. Okay. So go, what I'm saying is like go in slowly. Yeah. Don't jump in to, to every, You know, I have to do everything all at once. You know. Now there's a hundred email to go through. What do I do with that? And slowly, slowly, you do it. Okay? Any questions about any of this? Yeah. I do have a question. Um, you said do mantra, and you said it before, if you in the last few days, do mantra. And I have been told by someone who is not you <laughs> that you should never do mantra except in the context of the whole <coughs> yard, you know, 
Oh, and, yeah. uh, and that's what I've been doing, although I would do it a lot oftener if I didn't have to do all that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes, you can say mantra any time, any place. You can just say it in your in your mind. You don't have to do the entire sadhana to do, you know. And you can sometimes, you know, you just do a, a quick visualization when you're walking of the Buddha and light coming and say the mantra. Or sometimes, you know, you, you can't do the visualization even when you're walking. When you're driving, you really have to not visualize, you know. But you can certainly say the mantra. <laughs> So, yeah, do it as much as possible because that keeps your mind focused and centered. Okay.